Welcome to Voices on Art, the Van Horn Gallery podcast hosted by Daniela Steinfeld. I'm Daniela, and this podcast is about my personal and also about a lot of other people's enthusiasm for art. Art can touch on all parts of life, and therefore we talk about all parts of life. I hope to get you on board and to tell you interesting stories you enjoy listening to. For our international listeners, the podcast will be held mostly in English. We're recording via the internet, so please excuse any glitches and sound quality. Episode 47, recorded November 18, 2021. My guest today is Brigitte Kölle, curator and head of collections of contemporary art at Hamburger Kunsthalle. Hello, Brigitte. Very happy to have you. Hello, Daniela. Brigitte, um, you know we're starting always at the start. <laughs> so my first question is, What is your background? When did you first encounter art? And how did that encounter influence the decisions you took for your life and for your career? Yeah, so we really start with the beginning. I don't really remember when I first saw art so consciously. So I grew up in a family where art was appreciated, but none of my parents or sister or whatever were really related to art. And it started somehow during my time in school. Actually, there was a there was a friend of mine who was two, three years older than I was, and he was um, already at the age of 16, 17, very much into art. He knew exactly that he uh, wanted to become an artist, and he did so. So right after school, he uh, went to the academy, art academy in Düsseldorf, and studied with Gerhard Richter. And he was really fascinating because he was so different to all the others <laughs> at school because he knew, knew exactly what he wanted. And um, I found this really fascinating. So then I had also lessons in my free time with an artist. I really started by my own practice, art practice. Oh, I didn't know that. Yes, this was always very important to me, actually, also during my study. So later on, after school, I, I went to the University of Hildesheim. Mm -hmm. And at that time, it was the first university that offered studies. It was called cultural studies, where you could actually also practice art, not only learn about the theory of art or history of art, but also uh, practice art. That's a big difference, yeah. <laughs> it's a big difference, and I think it's really important that's very often missing in these yeah the conventional kind of art history studies because you have a totally different approach to something if you really encountered it in in practice and and uh, did it yourself so if you made an etching you know the difference between an etching and lithography or if you made your own prints in photography It's a different approach. And also you understand what an artist is doing much better. Yes, yes, exactly. So this was very important to me also to always practice and during my studies. And then somehow I stopped it <laughs> <laughs> because, yeah, sometimes you have to decide what you really want to do. And yeah, so I did my first internship at Conrad Fischer Gallery. Yes, that was also something I'm, I'm really <laughs> curious. I know about this, but yeah. uh, I was very curious about this because 
I mean, you even later you wrote the book Okie Dokie Conrad Fischer. So I think that internship left quite an impact. Yes, extremely. I was very young at the time. I was 20, 21. So during my studies, I I mean, it was part of the studies to do um, internships, three mm -hmm. internships, at least six weeks long. And I was interested to go to someplace else, uh, another city. So I contacted this friend of mine who was a student at the Art Academy and who I had known from school. I contacted him and I asked him, listen, I'd like to come to the Rhineland for an internship. And is there any good gallery you can recommend? <laughs> and he said, yes, yes, of course. I mean, there's Conrad Fischer Gallery, but you won't uh, probably won't be able to make an internship there. And I said, oh, why not? So I just, you know, I called and I went there and I asked. And they were a little surprised, Conrad. Because nobody ever asked for an internship before? Yes, never. At that legendary place? Wow. Yes. Yeah, very, very strange. Um, so I was lucky and I said, yes, yes, okay. So, <laughs> and then I, I was there in 1989. And it was so interesting because at that time, Bruce Nauman came and he installed his exhibition called Heads and Bodies. Yeah. It was the very first time that he showed in Europe these wax heads and the body parts that were hanging from the ceiling. And I was totally flashed. I was oh, totally I can imagine. <laughs> yes. And you and met him also. You met Yes, I met artist. him. And he, he's, he's, I mean, you know him too. He's very fascinating. And very humble. Very humble, very friendly, yeah. very open. But he knows exactly what he wants and the way he installed his exhibition was for me the very first time that I encountered an artist installing his sculptures in space in a very very conscious way and this is also something I very much liked about Conrad's way of working as a gallery owner because he was an artist he was an artist he had been an artist and he was always very very conscious about spatial relationships. So, for example, one day he told me, oh, Brigitte, there's a Calandré piece. So there were some, you know, parts of a Calandré uh, sculpture lying on the floor. And he told me, oh, Brigitte, could you please place this in a different room? And I did so. And it was just a test. He tested me how I placed them. And at that time, I didn't have a clue, not at all. So these, <laughs> these metal and copper plates, and I didn't know what, what I was supposed to do with them. And it was also, you know, learning by doing. Yes, and what did you do? How did you place them then? I placed them in a very symmetrical way. And Conrad came and he said, yes, but let's put them a little different. Or also with the installed Bruce Nauman exhibition, he asked me, what do you think? Should we switch on the light, the artificial light, or should we keep it with daylight? So also these little I mean, these aren't really little details, but you have to be aware of them, but it makes a, a total difference if you encounter a wax head hanging from the ceiling or body parts of a really tortured animal in artificial light than in 
soft daylight. And what did you decide? I said at that time, let's keep the light off. And Conrad said, no, we switch it on. And he was total right. I mean, of course, but he made me aware of it and he showed me the difference. And so it was really a, a learning lesson for me, this, this internship. And of course, also all the artists I met at the time we still had these fax machines. I mean, it was in the end of the 80s. Well, but that was already very advanced to have it a fax already, machine. It was advanced. And, <laughs> and it was also nice because you could make these little drawings. And Conrad loved these, the, the fax machine, because he never really wrote a lot, but he loved to express himself by drawings. And also Thomas Schütte, an artist who, who lived and studied in, in Düsseldorf and is still there. And he's part of the Konrad Fischer Gallery. And he was at that time also quite young. And I remember he sent a fax every day saying, I come now for tea. <laughs> and um, he was there all the time. And there was, were these artists going in and out and these conversations and I was, I was just flashed and I thought, oh, this is something I'd like to do. But the, yeah. the art world was very, very different then. Yeah, yeah. I mean, all these relations between artists and galleries and it became mm. so much bigger and also so much more diverse. So, yes. so what, what do you think were first the major, like the opportunities at that time, but also the major obstacles and what were the changes that you've witnessed in those decades now almost, like 30, 30 years, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's totally right. It felt more like like a family mm -hmm. uh, at the time because people uh, knew each other personally and they were somehow, you know, like-minded in a way. Now it's much broader, more global, of course, more travels. At that time, it was just... In the end of the 80s, beginning of the 90s, it was more this international relationship between Europe or the middle European art scene, Western European art scene and the States. But I don't remember any, you know, artists coming from Africa or Asia or even South America. It was very limited. And this is nowadays. It's a totally different and broader scene yeah mm. and what women do you remember from that time what was the part of women in all of that this is something it was really missing and i missed it i i really thought there are these strong uh, male artists and male gallery owners and male curators and i decided to also broaden my perspective in this. And, and after my studies, um, I decided to go to the States, to New York. Mm -hmm. I was lucky and I got a scholarship from the DAD, that's the German Academic Exchange Service. So I was able to do a postgraduate studies called Museum Studies at NYU, at New York University. And since the lessons and seminars were always in the late afternoon, I was, I was able to, to also work full-time. And I applied for work at DIA Center. So I worked as a research assistant for Lynn Cook. And also at the New Museum, I worked as curatorial assistant for Marsha Tucker. Strong women. Both women, Lynn Cook and Marsha Tucker, very strong women. And it was really, at that time 
a very conscious decision of mine to get to know women curators because there was none. I don't remember any female curator in the beginning of the 90s. No, I mean, there were strong women galleries, you know, like Marion Goodman, who is probably the godmother of, uh, yeah, yeah. of all of them, but they definitely were not the majority. Yes, and also, I mean, Maureen Goodman, um, she's in New York. In New York, it was a different scene. There was Paula Cooper and, and Maureen Goodman and Barbara Gladstone. But I'm, I'm, I'm talking about Germany at yeah. the time. There was, I don't remember, really. Monika Sprüt a little later. But then in New York, those things were opening up for you and you, yes. you took very, very conscious decisions. So how did it go on from there? Yeah, I mean... Now it sounds so, um, yeah, so like like almost strategic or, or conscious, but but very often things just happened, and I'm really a fan of this idea that you have to be open what life brings for you. Sometimes you are lucky and you meet the right people, and then something is is going into a specific direction. Or there are many opportunities and. I'm not such a such a defender of this, you know, career strategies that uh, nowadays artists also learn at art academy, you know, how you know you have to present yourself mm -hmm. or how your portfolio has to look like and this is also strategic but I think life is much more diverse and there are many many ways to live your life and also always the opportunity or the chance to to start anew or to to change your direction and, and try something else if you aren't happy with what you're doing absolutely because if you close up or you only have one goal then you might miss all the other doors that open on this yes. way yes yeah it was just you know a lucky coincidence to meet with Conrad Fischer who had been such a good friend of mine and and so important as a as a teacher mm -hmm. as a role model and also to meet with Marsha Tucker and Lynn Cook and many many others later Kasper König who I worked with at Porticus also a very fascinating personality and an excellent exhibition curator all these people there are so many human beings you can learn a lot from and, and I'm very grateful that I had a chance to, to mm -hmm. do so. What I find interesting is that you're talking about the openness and feelings and opportunities and I'm just hopping more into the present time now because one of yeah. the exhibitions you did which impressed me a lot was the exhibition Trauern, Grieving mm -hmm. and touched on so deeply human, but also political and society issues. Mm -hmm. And you said in an interview, which I find says a lot about that, what you also said right now, that grief is the proof of our capacity to love. Mm -hmm. So grief is a really big, but also very subjective issue. And how do you weave these, the capacity to love or the non-capacity to love mm -hmm. into an exhibition? This had been really difficult because, I mean, to mourn or to grieve, it's a very emotional thing. But it's also related to society. It's a political issue. The way how we deal with it, how we handle the aspect of mourning and how we allow something like this, which place we give for grief and grievance. And also this aspect of grievability, you know, which 
people we mourn and which people we don't mourn. It's also a value that we give. There are very interesting texts by Judith Butler about this issue and the political dimension of mourning and grief, which I found very, very inspiring. And as a curator, if you have something like a thematic exhibition like this, the exhibition on grieving, or before this I did an exhibition on failing and an exhibition on waiting, when you prepare such an exhibition, you learn a lot. It's never that you have a fixed idea of how it should look like and what you'd like to tell. It's, it's again, you have to be very open. You read a lot. You, you go to many studios. You talk with people. You talk with artists. And then your perspective opens up extremely. And this is very rewarding and very fascinating in the process of preparing an exhibition. And it had been like this also with this morning exhibition. I was just interested in this ambivalent feeling of morning and how you can create images or how you can find words mm -hmm. on something that you can't really express because you are so deeply touched and devastated and you don't know where is up and where is down. But artists very often go into these situations where it hurts and where it gets difficult. And so they are very, very courageous also. And you will find a lot of literature on the aspect of mourning. You will find extremely many films, movies on this issue. If you look, you know, with the classes on, uh, with the perspective, you will find it everywhere. It's so important in our life. Yeah, as well as feeling as, as also the neglect of it. Yes, exactly. Yeah, how we aren't able to handle it and how we don't talk about it. Mm -hmm. How we don't process it. Yeah, this is really a very a great experience. When we opened the exhibition, it was in February last year, 2,000 people came. It was like a wave. I couldn't believe it. It was packed and people were you know, looking at the artworks and they started to talk with each other. Many visitors told me, I never went to an exhibition and I talked with someone else who was also experiencing the art. And of course, this is great. I mean, if something like this happens, yeah. That's what you wish for an exhibition, that it kind of yeah. lingers on in, in the minds of people. But I, I also wonder, it's because there's so much art, there's so many important themes in the world. And first, how do you decide which theme is worth to make an exhibition of? And also, how much of your personal preferences, your personality, your experience as a human, and also as a woman and mother, flow mm. into your exhibition making? Probably a lot. I can't really tell exactly uh, how it affects it because it's a very subjective approach, of course. Maybe someone else can, <laughs> can give you a better answer on this question. But of course, I'm interested in these uh, themes. I'm Right now, I'm preparing an exhibition which will be on view at Hamburg Kunsthalle in fall next year. It's again a thematic exhibition on the subject matter of breathing. And 
it's related to myself, to me, but it's also related to the whole situation we are in right now with uh, COVID-19. But it's also a subject that opens up to so many aspects. Again, also political issues. I, I just say I can't breathe, mm. you know. I mean, this whole question of power, of institutional power, and who gets good air, who gets the fresh air, who gets not enough air, or who is distracted from it, and all these questions. So also health issues or environmental issues. Exactly. Environmental issues, health issues, political issues, religious issues, philosophical issues. There are so many different aspects. And, and that's something I find extremely interesting and and they are great artworks so mm. I'm, I'm i can't wait to <laughs> to open this exhibition yeah great because then you already answered one of my questions because i mm. was thinking so yeah what what is it that enthuses you that mm. you know that still excites you after all these years you know and you just said that you still can't wait to open uh, that exhibition and yeah. I, i wonder so if you decided for a theme how is then the process like how do you go about to to find the right artworks or do you mm -hmm. first have an artwork in mind and then a theme pops up or how does that mm -hmm. happen I mean, the starting point is always the art. It's that I see a lot of artists go to a lot of studios. So I'm interested in what artists are interested in. So the theme then somehow pops up in these conversations and in, in seeing art. And so that I have the impression this is something that artists are interested in. And then I start to read and to research. And it's like a huge puzzle. It's always the question how to condense it, how to mm -hmm. concentrate it, because you can't show everything. And I mean, that's that's all always the, <laughs> the most difficult aspect of being a curator. You have to make it really dense and you have to let go of many other things you also find interesting because you can't show everything. You have to minimize it somehow and strengthen it. And is there a team that, that helps you in that process? Yeah, I mean, I'm always working with volunteers. These are these interns that are in our museum for two years. So young art historians and we discuss. Yeah, so it's a process. It's always creating an exhibition is always teamwork because there are so many people mm -hmm. involved in it. But in terms of What to to show and which direction it has to go, I'm probably very dominant. Okay, you make the decision sort of like. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. well, sometimes it's good if there's like one mind where you have like the red thread. And it's good to have the young interns because yes. they come also with fresh ideas and fresh eyes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, they are you know, 25 years younger than I am. Mm. And it's always good to hear what they are thinking. And also my daughters are, are very important in this kind of discussions. I was wondering about them too, because they're that age now too, and they have a mm. different view on life and society. Yeah, yeah. And they are also very good touches somehow, <laughs> you know, because when I ask them, do you find this theme interesting or what do you think of this? And their opinion is, is very valuable to me, very, very important. And yeah. Mm -hmm. 
And do you have also sometimes like really hot discussions about themes? Yeah, with my, my elder daughter about questions of, of feminism and mm -hmm. racism and so on. Yeah, she's much more into it and she's more precise and conscious. So she's she's really good in this kind, yeah. And so so you really learn from, from, yes. from them too. <laughs> yes. And yeah. but you take it also, you're open enough to say like, oh okay, yeah, I'm learning something new here. Yes, yeah. Definitely. As from the young artist, the same mm, the same yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah. Is there a difference like when you, okay, you conceive an exhibition, then you realize the exhibition, you told me a little bit about the process, but for example, to um, acquire a work for the collection, is that a different mm -hmm. process? Yeah, it's even more a teamwork because as a museum, we don't really have a fixed like acquisition budget. Mm -hmm. So we always have to find people or foundations that help us to acquire the work. And since Hamburger Kunsthalle is such a big museum, you know, from the old masters to contemporary art. It covers everything. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's also a question of, you know, can we now or should we now acquire rather work of old masters mm. or is the emphasis now on contemporary art and how does it fit into our existing collection and what's the direction we'd like to go into. So all these questions are discussed as a team of curators, of collection curators and director. And yeah, so that's important. Yeah. Yeah, and also the questions now, as you said before, that the art world became much more global and yeah. also all the women artists that were not collected before. And yeah. there are like the, the modern women artists, but then there are also the contemporary women artists and there are people of color and all of that. Is yeah. that even a possibility to make up for decades of not looking into that? Or how does a museum deal with that? Yeah, that's a very good question. And it's really difficult <clears throat> to find an answer on this because, of course, we have the demand and we have the visual thinking of being a global museum, an international museum, but our resources are limited in every aspect, personal, financial, spatial, all of this. So mm. sometimes I'm I'm a little envious on you know an institution like like the Tate, Tate Modern and the different departments they have, you know, people that take care of, of art from Asia or from Africa, whatever, mm. because this is something we can't do at Hamburger Kunsthalle. And then there's always the demand also to, to have a closer look on the local mm. art scene. Yeah, it's a, it's a difficult situation because I always think it's important to look at the local art scene, but still we are, as Hamburger Kunsthalle, we are an international museum and not a Heimatmuseum. No, but, but that must not be a contradiction. You know, there yes. are, especially in cities like Hamburg or Düsseldorf mm. or Cologne, Munich, there are great artists which live there, but yes. they are just by the quality of their art, they're, they're, cons they're international standard yes. artists. I mean, they're just high quality artists. And also, I think, you know, if all museums in the world would just show the same, which actually was like that a little bit a few decades ago, that would be also not interesting. Yes. Yes, you're totally right. Sometimes I think, you know, when I visit museums, there's always the same. Mm. That's so boring. The 
collections are very often so much alike and it's much more interesting to really have an emphasis somewhere and to have a special personality as a museum, as a, a very special profile and it makes it more diverse and more interesting instead of having all the same artists' names, the standards everywhere. And also what you said about the local art scene, that's absolutely right. And I experienced this in, in Frankfurt in the middle of the 90s when I was working there as a curator at Porticus because I very often went also to the Museum of Modern Art, MMK, in mm -hmm. Frankfurt. Jean-Christophe Amann was the director at that time in this institution, and he made these collection presentations that I found very inspiring. He called them Szenenwechsel, so change of scenes. And he showed artists from Frankfurt together in an exhibition with artists from the States or from other countries. And he never showed them as Frankfurt artists, but he showed them as artists that could keep up with an international quality and, and standard. And you don't do any good to these artists if you just show them as Hamburg artists or as Frankfurt artists. They are much more. And that it's it's all about. Yeah. Yeah. I think if it raises up to a certain quality, whatever, how quality we can, we can define, it's hard to define quality, but nevertheless, then it's automatically international. It doesn't matter where the artist is based, but sometimes yeah. it's just interesting to have a touch of the regional or the local because that makes it special and it does not look all the same all over the world. Yeah. So there's this mix between probably national and international and global and all of these things. But we were talking about, okay, a museum has to develop a personality or has to have an emphasis on something. So when it comes to you, your exhibitions, your decisions mm -hmm. for probably collecting something, what is your emphasis right now in the museum, but also as a person? I mean, in Hamburger Kunsthalle, in my work as a curator and as a head of contemporary art collection, there are maybe like three threads. So first of all, I'm a museum curator. So I work with the collection and that's very important mm -hmm. to me. And I love to work with the collection and to show it in different contexts and in different dialogues. So these collection presentations that I'm doing uh, that run for like six months or maybe one and a half years or whatever, they are very important to me. I've made a series, it's called Honey, I Rearranged the Collection, mm -hmm. which is a quote by Ellen Ruppersberg. And this is something that's maybe, yeah, the title already shows the emphasis on the different perspectives art can be looked at, because I think that a good artwork is always multidimensional and there are many different ways to look at it and it's it's so boring to have it always in the same context so there are really conversations in between the artworks when you show them differently so this is something i'm very much interested in and then I'm very much interested in these thematic exhibitions that show us as human beings in a more vulnerable situation. Mm -hmm. And then there's also this line of solo exhibitions of female artists that have not gotten the respect or mm, the acknowledgement. Yes, exactly. Acknowledgement they really desire mm -hmm. and deserve. 
exactly deserve. Like Eva Hesse or Gego or Chita Pratescu, the Romanian artist, I should have big solo retrospective of her in 2016, which had been the very first big exhibition of her work in Western Europe and in Germany. And right now I'm preparing an exhibition of the American artist Via Selmans, who is very well known in the States and very appreciated and admired, but hardly known in, in Europe. And I show her in a dialogue with Gerhard Richter. So to really have the right perspective for her, the value of, of her work and the quality of her work. To just put her on the same level. On the same level and also to show Gerhard Richter, who is very often shown only in solo exhibitions, like, like a Deus Ex Machina, as if he wouldn't be a part of a, of a context, to show him also in a, in a dialogue with a very strong female position that had worked simultaneously to him the same time, the same generation, different continents. And it's, it's so great to have these, these references and to see the similarities. There are astonishing similar, similarities in their works. But also, I think it will be a lesson in, in close and very concentrated looking because there are, of course, also many differences in the way how they paint and how they treat the way of how art can describe or refer to reality. Mm, that's an interesting change of perspective. Yeah. And you as a person, what is your emphasis there for your personal life? It's also this question of close looking, which I'm so happy with. I think it brings a lot of joy to encounter art for me as a person. It makes me really happy to look at good art and to see art, to experience it, to be in a space with art. Mm -hmm. It's also, again, this bodily and visual experience that had been so important during my time at, at Konrad's uh, gallery, where it started. And also to have the experience that art is able to change the way how you see things and also it's able to have you encounter something that you haven't encountered in this kind ever before so sometimes it's a disturbing experience but it's most of the time it's a very very rewarding experience even when it's disturbing mm. and it's it's opening up new worlds yes yeah And also this presence of art or being there, being with other people. So last night I was at the theater and it was a fantastic uh, play at Schauspielhaus here in Hamburg. Richard the Kid and the King is the title of it. It runs for four hours and I was there the second time. I was sitting there in the first row seeing these actors, you know, um, sweat and cry and scream and play. And I was just, it was so intense. And there's, I mean, I, I personally feel this need of being close mm -hmm. again after, you know, after, I mean, we are still in this pandemic, but This is something I'm very much missing in this time of distance and yeah. being separated from everything else. Real art, real people, real yes. bodies, real experiences. Yes, yes exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Brigitte. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me, Daniela. For more information on Voices on Art, the Van Horn Gallery podcast, follow us on Instagram at Voices on Art 
and at van underscore horn underscore Düsseldorf. Visit our website van-horn.net and subscribe to Voices on Art on Spotify, Apple Podcasts or the platform of your choice. Thank you for listening to Voices on Art, the Van Horn Gallery podcast hosted by Daniela Steinfeld. Stay tuned and connect. <laughs>